Good evening. They, um, they played that song at Leanne's funeral, and, um, and every time I hear it, in fact, when I hear it on the radio, um, I have to change the, the channel because it's still, you know, a little raw, but when I hear it, and I, see, I hear that refrain, um, you know, my chains are gone, I've been set free. Well, the reason I changed the channel is because I, you know, I pictured when they were showing, at the funeral, they were showing pictures of her, and, and you know, and, and they play that song in the background, and so all I have is those pictures going through my head over and over and over again. But the reality is, and the great news is, um, two and a half years ago, you know, Leanne's chains were literally gone, and she was set free. See, we can say that now positionally. You and I can say that if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, because positionally, when we came to the cross, that was made true of you and me right then and there, whether you were 5 or 15 or 50, or that, that the, the, the chains of sin were broke in your life because Jesus Christ bled for you and for me, and he died for you and for me. And so that's true of us positionally, but we go through life wrestling, right? We go through life with our sin nature just battling every day and our flesh just battling our spirit. And so we sing that, but we sing it with a, with a, a, a ring of hope to it, don't we? We sing it with a ring of, I know God that's true of me, and yet, boy, I blew it today. Uh, you know, I know that God, I know my, I know my chains have been, you know, chains are gone, I've been set free, but I didn't demonstrate that today, God. But guys, when your final breath comes, if you know Jesus, your chains will be gone forever. You will be set free forever. The uh, ailments that you get up with and I get up with every day. The, uh, the, the desire we have to go to the gym and start a new season in our lives. And after that first workout, we wake up the next day wondering, what are we doing? Because our bodies are just broken. And we thought we were doing good and they feel so bad. That'll be over with. The relationships that you and I have that are just like this every day will be no more. The people, the people that you and I struggle with as believers in the house of God, the ones that we know are saved by the same blood we're saved with, and yet we just, we just don't connect, we just don't get along, that will be gone. One day our sin will be forever gone. And we will be set free. And as I mentioned last week, the theme that's going to run through these next three weeks now is this theme of hope. This theme of expected joy. That you and I have to, if we know Jesus Christ, we are commanded to wake up with expected joy. Um, because that's what heaven is for us. It's something we don't know all of yet, but we can live with expected joy. And so that's why we come to things like this, to learn a little bit more of God. Well, yeah, I want to be joyful. I'm struggling a little bit, but, but I know it's out there. And so we, we, we asked and answered the question last week, what confuses us about heaven? Why don't we live with this great, wonderful joy that, that Greg's talking about? Why do I get up every day and, and sort of miss that and get right into the grind of life? And, and we, we dealt with, you know, issues like ignorance and, um, 
And the fact that we live very earthly lives, truth be told, we can go many, many days without opening up our Bibles and many, many days without praying. And, and you know, sometimes we get to Sunday and we say, thank goodness for Sunday because it's been six days since I've worshipped and prayed and fellowshiped. And so, God, thank you for Sundays because at least I know once a week I'm going to get it. And yet we know better than that. We know we should be doing more than that. And so we get into this earthly rut of my treasures are right here in front of me, God. And I want to build them up bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, recently I was reading some discussions on whether Christians should even have retirements. Uh, Social security and, and whatnot set up for us so that when we retire we have all this money waiting for us. It was a very interesting discussion. We're not even going to begin to touch that tonight. Because that's a firestorm <laughs> waiting to happen. But I thought it was, you know, and their position, the people that took the position of, you know, maybe we shouldn't, took that position of, are you storing up so much here? And are you taking so much out of your paycheck each week and having it matched by your employer and, and, and figuring out how, you know, that, that number we all have to have, as the commercial says, are we so focused on that when God has said, I haven't guaranteed you 65 <laughs> I got to have the 8 million set up so I can live comfortably. And God's saying, well, I haven't guaranteed you tomorrow. Now, again, we use wisdom and, you know, and so I am, I have retirement funds and it's just an interesting discussion. It brought me back to this idea of what we're talking about, which is why is all of our focus so earthly all the time? When Paul says in Colossians, keep seeking the things above where God is seated. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And, and unfortunately, I guess last week we ended with this idea that one of the things that we struggle with, I think, with heaven and thinking about heaven and hell is that we have to define and defend if we subscribe to that, right? If we're going to believe in heaven being forever and hell being forever, we have to then define that. But then we also have to defend that. And as we closed last week, we talked about all of the other major world religions not believing what the Protestant Christian religion believes about the afterlife. Every major world religion has a different afterlife program. There's not one afterlife program that is identical down to the the nuts and bolts as another. Everyone has a different program. Now again, as I mentioned last week, we all could be wrong. But we all can't be right. I know that to be true. We, I may be wrong. You may be wrong. I just know enough to know we all can't be right. And so when we step out and when we say, this is what I believe. I do believe in a heaven that's going to last forever. And conversely, I do believe in a hell that's going to last forever. You will get pushback. I, you have to know that. In our age of PC tolerance reigns, if you take a step out and say, I believe in a heaven and a hell that lasts forever, you're going to get pushback. And do you know why you're going to get pushback? Because people are going to want to know one thing, and that's what? What do they want to know? Yeah, uh, yeah, they want to know who's going where. Right? I mean, for instance, I... Um, See if I can bring this up. I don't know if we can get the screen here. I came across this. I don't know if you saw this um, when the uh, when the um, the Aurora shootings happened, and uh, so a preacher came out 
the day after or that day or whatever. Uh, maybe it was on his Sunday message. Maybe it was the following Sunday he came out. And, and he used that example, that tragedy, in, in his message. And, and so the, the news picked up on it. And this was the headline, Newcomer, and you may know him better than I do. I, I, just, I know he's an author, um, evangelical leader, says, only Christian victims of Colorado shooting going to heaven. Now, in our age of PC, tolerant, uh, you pick up that headline, what are you thinking immediately? Uh, if, you're, if, you're on the, if you're marginal in terms of your knowledge about Christianity or you're a nominal Christian or a non-Christian, or and you pick that up, that just fuels the fire, doesn't it? To say exclusive, intolerant, um, uncompassionate. And so he goes on. So, I, you know, I was curious, so I saw that. He goes on. They, they have some quotes here. Um, uh, so this is what he said. Um, let's see if I can blow it up here. He says, if a Christian dies early... If a Christian dies young, it seems tragic, but really it's not tragic because they're going to a wonderful place. On the other hand, if a person doesn't know Jesus, if they knowingly reject Jesus, then basically they're going to a terrible place. And then he says, um, for those who are not in Christ and see this incredible tragedy, this would be a good time for soul reflection and consider why you haven't accepted Jesus Christ. I would urge anyone who's not in Christ to repent of your sins. Now, did he say anything there that, that on a theological level, let's just, you know, take the event out of it, okay? Just, just on, based on what he said there, did he say anything in those statements that as an evangelical community you would disagree with, right? Take it out of that context and put it in any other context and probably most people would be cheering him on. In the church community. Most people in the church community would be saying, that, yeah, that's exactly right. If, if my kid is at church camp, I want that message preached. If, if my kid's trying to you know, witness to his neighbor, I, I want that message preached. But because he put it in the context of a, of a horrific event, it, it just became a firestorm. Um, I don't want to belabor this, but um, you know, they always have comments, of course. Um, you know, here it is. So the very first one. So do you Christians honestly believe that over half the religious people in the world are going to be punished rather painfully for all eternity? For example, as rabbis and Buddhist monks who have devoted their entire lives to service will spend eternity where, where according to your, spend eternity where according to your loving God. Have you considered that where you were born in the religion, your parents, friends, and community have a significant impact on what religion you probably adhere to? Isn't it arrogant for any religious person to think that believers in their religion are the only ones who will enjoy eternal good stuff and everyone else will be punished forever? It's a great comment, isn't it? Because I think it gets to the heart of the matter, which is, folks, if you believe in an eternal heaven and hell, you have to know that you're going to face these kinds of comments. And it's a legitimate comment. So my question back, I guess, if you were writing this and you had to respond to that particular comment on that, on that blog or on that news article, what would you say? Questions, is it arrogant for you to believe that? Is it exclusive for you to believe that? And really what the person is doing is they're pressing the issue, how dare you? 
So we arrive tonight at what I believe is a very, very important and yet difficult topic. And that is the topic of hell. I looked at our schedule and I thought, you know what? If I can devote three weeks to heaven and one week to hell, that's, that, that would be a good ratio, I think. So tonight's the night. So, because we have to embrace the issue for two reasons. One, it's biblical. Uh, the Bible talks, Jesus talks more about hell than anyone else. Half of his parable, parables, parables, Speak about hell or judgment. Uh, one author said that, I don't know how he got this number, but he said about 13% of all Jesus' teachings are on hell or judgment. So you can't ignore the issue. You have to address the issue. You have to define it. And then you have to be willing to defend it. Which means that for some of us here tonight, we're going to have to wrestle with drawing this very, very distinct and yet concrete line in the sand. That says, I may not have all the answers. God, it's a personal struggle of mine, to be honest with you. I wish we could all just hold hands and, and jump real high and get to heaven. And you would just catch us all. And... But I know enough to know that the Bible speaks of a hell. And I want to I know what the Bible has to say about it so that I can defend it. So that I can go to my neighbor and my friend with every ounce of sincerity I can and speak the truth in love. I was, uh, I was at ASU for a, a, num- a few years back in the 80s getting my bachelor's. And we had a guy come on our campus. Um, I think his name was Brother Jed. And Brother Jed, would, he was a mall preacher. He would come on and just, you know, set up shop. And, and it was more of a, an act than anything, that he would attract a crowd uh, is probably as big about this every day. The reason he would attract a crowd is because all he did was speak condemnation. So every girl at ASU was a whore. And every guy at ASU was um, whatever the equivalent of a whore is. And that was how he started every discussion with us. He didn't believe anyone was a Christian at ASU. And so it really, it just drew this massive crowd, but all it did was spark argument and fire and debate and people left more convinced that Christianity is just a bunch of exclusive, you have to be in the club type people, and I don't want to be a part of that. Very unloving, uncaring, uncompassionate. And so my heart broke when I saw him come on our campus because I knew this guy was going to do more damage than he was going to do good. So our goal in believing in heaven and hell is not to do damage. But our goal in believing in hell is twofold. One, it's to help rescue people from an eternity apart from God. And two, it's to recognize what God has saved you and I from. And so when we carry this theme of hope all the way through to the end, and next week and the week after, we will talk about what we have to look forward to in heaven. And it is beyond your wildest imagination. But conversely, what people have to look forward to in hell is beyond their wildest imagination in a very dark and negative way. And so I want to just bring us maybe a little bit closer to the reality that there is a hell and it does exist and it is real so that we could do those two things. One, get excited about what God has saved us from, but two, put it, God put it on my heart. To reach out to those who don't know you. 
because this is their destination. And dare I come even so close, and, and because I have the mic, I guess I can say this. If you're here tonight, and Jesus Christ is not the Savior of your life, He's not the Lord of your life, because you have refused up to this point to bow your knee and say at the cross, Christ, I owe you my life for what you did on the cross for me, then your destination is hell. And I say that with the utmost of sincerity and compassion. Because nothing would bring me greater joy tonight than that some, for some reason God brought you here to hear that message. One person here tonight that would come to the cross would make all of these worth coming to, in my opinion. Because of how graphic and gruesome hell is. For instance, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew. And while you're turning there, let me just ask the question as we get started tonight. I was, I was, at, a, I was at, my kids were over the grandparents on, on Saturday and Sunday, and so I had this chance to go to another church. And I don't say that, we love Cornerstone, we, we come here all the time. But whenever I have the opportunity, whenever I, you know, can, I, I just try to, like, survey some of the churches in the valley just to see what else is out there. You know, like, are, are we doing it, like, the only way? Is this, are we doing it right? Is, you know, God, what else is out there? And I teach, you know, high school students, and they come from all different churches. And so it helps me when I say, oh, I visited your church, just to get an idea, context of what they're doing every week. So I went to a local church here in town, and I came in, I sat down to the worship, and and this is, this is second to none. I mean, I think we all know that, right? This worship up here is, is so, but they came close. So I'll give them that. So, um, so they, and, and they were singing songs that you would all know and I would know. And so I sang, you know, and, and the preacher came up and he preached and, and you could take the context of what we do here at Cornerstone and you could have put it in that local church. In fact, I think it's one of the sister churches here of Cornerstone. And so, and so it just was all familiar. But as I was sitting there, I thought this one thing. I thought, do I believe what they believe? Can I come in as, as a follower of Jesus and just with my Bible and sit down in that congregation and feel unbelievably comfortable because I know whatever they teach, I believe what they believe. Can I do that? Can you go to any evangelical church here in the valley any community church here in the valley and sit down and yeah, you may, you know, they may use a different version of the Bible or they may not serve coffee or whatever it is, but you can say to yourself on the whole, I can believe whatever it is that pastors up there teaching with utmost of confidence because we're, we're reading the same Bible. So as it pertains then to the issue of heaven and hell, I, let me just ask the question. Is this issue a non-negotiable? Is this one of the foundations of the Christian faith? So much so that you and I could go into any community church here in the valley and know that if they were to preach on Revelation 21 or Revelation 20 or Matthew 25 or 1 Thessalonians 4, whatever the intricacies are in terms of are you pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib or amil or pre whatever those are aside, do they subscribe to a literal heaven and a literal hell? Do, do you think that that's true? Would you agree with that? Would you agree that the community churches here in the valley would subscribe to a literal heaven and literal hell? Can we start there? 
So, the, so I guess the question is then, and, and we got some mics here, so feel free to shout out some answers or grab a mic. What confuses us? Why do we struggle then with hell? Why do we struggle with believing in a literal hell? Just food for thought. What do you think? Why do we struggle with this? Okay, we struggle with it because... Because no one wants to go to hell. Okay, no one wants to go, but why do... So, so what? Why do we struggle, though? I mean, why, why do we struggle with believing it, then? Is it because we don't want people to go, or... Well, it's kind of like wishful thinking, I guess, is what I'm implying. Like, but also I think if you believe in hell, then you have to believe in heaven. So if, if people can just deny both of them, then they can deny both of them. But if, if they say, well, I believe in hell, but I don't believe in heaven, it's not, it doesn't really work that way. You know, it doesn't. You're exactly right. And, it, and again, like I said, it forces you down to, can you defend it? 60%, 61%, I believe, when Obama died, oh, not, oh, <laughs> When Osama bin Laden died, got the election on my mind, um, when he died last May, I think it was last May, 61% CNN did a poll believed that he would be in hell. Which is interesting because we do have wishful thinking until we get to certain people. Right? Right? I mean, we, we have wishful thinking... Yeah, everyone in here, you know, we're all buds. I mean, yeah, we may not get along that well, but we're all, you know, but then bring someone in to the degree of like Obama, uh, Osama, stop, stop. And, and we, and we, then we cross the line. Then we say, well, no, that person belongs in hell. Which guys, I'll be honest with you. If you can get someone, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker on that discussion, and they say something like, well, Obama should be in hell. You are, okay, Osama bin Laden should be in hell. You, you have now, you better step into that conversation. Because you, half the battle's over. You've, you've entered into almost a slam dunk conversation. Because the next question out of your mouth should be, really, why? And now you are off and running on a full-blown, prayerfully wonderful gospel conversation with that individual because now you're headed down the path of well, why should that person be in hell and not this person and now you've now you're right in there because now they're going to definitely go off of because that person's bad and this person isn't really what is your definition of bad is lying bad is stealing bad well i guess on some levels they're bad really have you ever lied and stole yeah then you're bad but you're, but you're not going to hell. Well, because I'm not that bad. And, and now, now you're in. Now you're into a good, a good, healthy conversation with that person. With sincerity and love, I think you're going to have a real strong gospel conversation with that person. But, but you're right. We, we, it, we want everyone in. Uh, because we don't know a lot about hell based on what our culture has told us. But we know everything our culture has told us, even the jokes about hell. Make it not a great place. Yeah. Um, and also, a lot of monotheistic religions um, don't believe in Jesus. So, are they all going to hell? 
And so we, so we have to look at the, what this person said on their comment, I think, which was, listen, if you put Catholicism in the mix with, with Protestantism, then we equal about a billion and a half or so on the planet. But take Catholicism, or, or maybe close to two billion, but take Catholicism out of the mix, and just with Protestant Christianity, we're about a sixth, maybe you know, a shade higher than a sixth of the world's population would be Protestant Christians. Now, guys, you know, do the math. That's not the majority. So if the minority of people are saying to the majority of people, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father but through him, the majority of the people are saying back to the minority, then you're saying the majority of us are headed to a destination apart from your God, and we don't like that. And your challenge as being part of the minority is to say, yeah, I don't, I don't like it either, but I'm not going to deny it. And that's what you and I have to individually really come to grips with. As I, as I mentioned before, if I went to that church last Sunday and I had even a hint that they didn't believe in an eternal heaven and hell, then whatever else they say and whatever songs they sing and however flowery and great the preacher is, I'm out of there. I just, I'm out of there. And so this is by far the most difficult and trying doctrine, I believe, of the Christian faith. Because it puts people that you know and people that you love and people maybe that you're related to in a very, very desperate position if their last day was today. Um, uh, the, the only reasons I had were, were because hell and heaven are final. We struggle with hell and heaven because of the finality of both of them. That there is no other thing. That's it. We talk about heaven being our eternal resting place and, and that's our eternal home. But guys, hell will be the same for those who are there. That is forever their home. So we struggle with that. And then secondly, I had down, it doesn't sit well, quite honestly, with the love of God, does it? I mean, let's just, get, let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room. If God is love, if God is mercy, if God is forgiving, an eternal hell does not sit well with that. Let's just admit it. The question is, is can both exist? Can you have a God that's loving and merciful and kind and compassionate and a place of eternal torment? Can both of those exist? And, and for some of us, that is like, it's, it's just pulling at us right now because we can't make sense of both of that. And so we end up giving in one way or the other. Um, and then thirdly, I had down, the punishment might not fit the crime. See, we think, yeah, John 14, 6, um, you, you know, no one can come to the Father but through me. That works until it's a friend of mine who doesn't know Christ, but they weren't that bad of a person. And then they get into a car accident and pass away. Now we're really wrestling with, did that verse really apply to them? Because God, an eternal punishment for that person, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And so we, so we go to bed really starving for an answer from God because we don't want, want to deny God. And yet we don't want to see our friend or loved one in a place that we think is pretty bad. And so, and so we wrestle with that. And then, well, there's one more actually I had because society struggles with it, we struggle with it. Because society dumbs it down and makes fun of it, we should too. It just eases the discomfort. And so that's why we wrestle with it. The, the problem is, is then when we wrestle with it, we come up with answers or conclusions that just aren't biblical. 
Let me give you two of them that I think that you're going to hear over and over and over again that I think the Bible says this is not what hell is, okay? So um, I don't think the Bible says this. So um, I guess I'll put it this way. Um, Hell is not these two things. One, it's not... um, Hell is not annihilationism. Hell is not a... Hell is not the, the place where people go to be extinguished forever. Part of us wants to believe that. There are some religions that subscribe to that. But the Bible has some interesting things to say about that. For instance, in the book of Matthew, then look at verse, uh, verse uh, chapter 25. Matthew 25. Let's look at uh, verse... 45, Jesus is talking about the judgment here when, uh, when people will come to him and he will sit on his glorious throne and the nations are gathered before him, the sheep and the goats, right? And, so, and, then, and then he judges them. And then he says to the people on his left in verse 31, depart from me, and, and he goes through what they didn't do for him. But then he says this, and, and, and we can talk later, I guess, about the sheep and the goats, but I just want to get to the bottom. He says in verse 45, he said to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it unto me. Therefore, here is your judgment. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, some people say, well, it's punishment, it's not hell. But he he contrasts that with eternal life. He's saying that there's a group of people that will go into eternal life. And then there's a group of people that will go away into eternal life punishment it seems to suggest that eternal means forever it's not it's not going to go away flip one book over to mark go to mark chapter 9 if you wouldn't mind let's go to mark 9 Uh, mark chapter 9 let's start in uh, 43 jesus is talking about causing people to stumble and and uh, he brings up the issue of children and he actually says if he says in 42 he says if you cause a little one one of these little ones to stumble um and the, he, it could be either actual children literal children or it could be actually baby believers one, one of the two but um but it could be one of those two or both of them really um it would be better if you had a heavy millstone hung around your neck and, and been cast in the sea and the idea there is is Women would have the smaller millstones to grind um, uh, cornmeal and whatnot to make things. But this was a heavy millstone was used for donkeys. And so picture a heavy one that, that donkeys would run, walk circles. It'd be better for someone to have that size of a millstone tied around their neck and drown into the sea, be cast in the sea. And if your hand causes it to stumble, cut it off, he says. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands, verse 33, uh, 43, go into hell into the unquenchable fire. He says that we don't know much about hell, but we know this, it's the unquenchable fire. It doesn't stop. It just goes over and over. And so the word there for hell in 43 and then in 45, uh, I believe in 47, is Gehenna. You may have heard that term before, Gehenna. And it comes from actually the Old Testament word, um, uh, Ben-Hinnon, which is... The son of Hinnon, but it really it was the valley of Hinnon. 
And so Gehenna was this valley that was in, this, I believe, the south part of Jerusalem, outside of the city. And so people in the first century, they knew what Jesus was talking about when he said cast into hell. Because in the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles 28 and I believe 33, if you were a Jew growing up, you would have known the history of that particular valley. And in that particular valley, two kings, King Ahaz and King Manasseh, his, his grandson. Uh, they were kings of Judah when Judah and Israel split and they were the kings of Judah. He was one of the wicked kings, King Ahaz. You know what he did in this valley? He worshipped Molech, the, the false god Molech. And in order to worship him, you would offer child sacrifices. And they're not sure exactly how it was done, but some believe that they built a statue that would have its arms out and they would have the arms be molten hot. And they would literally take babies or little children and place them on these molten hot arms. And watch them burn to death. So Ahaz did that. And it says in 2 Chronicles it was evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, the Lord became angered at Ahaz for that. But it took place in this valley. And then his grandson, skipped a generation, and his grandson Manasseh did the same exact thing. And so Jesus says, if your hand causes you to stumble, it's better for you to enter life crippled than to go into this place what you remember from your, from your history growing up as a Jew, that this place is despicable. In fact, some people think that this place became the city dump of Jerusalem. It's not proven, so I don't want to speculate too far on that. But it just it wasn't a great place. And Jesus says that is your visual, if you will, of hell. It's the place that you don't want to be. And so then he says, uh, if your foot causes you to stumble, and then in verse 47, if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. For it's better to have one eye than go into two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. And so the Jew of the first century got this imagery right away. We struggle with it a little bit, but enough to say this. There is no annihilationism in hell. In fact, just for further proof, go all the way back to your, go back to Revelation, all the way to the back of your Bible. Let's just go to one more passage to cement this idea. Revelation chapter 20. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, look at verse 10. And the devil, uh, Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. Okay, so I think we can clearly say that hell is not annihilationism. It would be merciful of God to annihilate you because of how, how graphic and horrible hell is. It would be merciful of God to do that, but that's not the case. Hell neither, it's not annihilationism, and on the other side... It's not universalism. Universalism is a popular concept that has taken off lately because of some authors that have written about this, which basically holds the concept that no matter your background or swath of religion as you grow old and no matter what region of the world you're from, everyone's in. Everyone's going. So there may be a period of refinement after in the afterworld. There may be a period of you don't exactly get to go all the way 
but everyone's going. And, and the thrust is the love of God. The thrust is if God is so loving and merciful, he wouldn't allow someone to be in hell forever and ever. So the idea is we're all going and maybe there's different degrees of heaven. Maybe there's different places for those who did live righteously, but we're all going. Uh, look at, stay in, in chapter um, 20 of Revelation then. Uh, chapter 20 of, of Revelation then. Look at verse 14. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the final death, the lake of fire. So we know, we don't know much. We know the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. We know the beast and the false prophet are there also. We know death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And then, but, but then look at 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, it's not, it's not just the place where the beast and the false prophet and the devil are. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The tragedy, folks, is that people really do believe I can live however I want here on earth. Because in the end, God has to accept me. He has to buy into whatever program I bought into. I heard uh, Mark Driscoll. Uh, Mark Driscoll gave a quote I thought was worth repeating to you. Uh, Driscoll says this. He says, hell is the wrath of God in effect. He says, if you don't belong to Jesus, you are in the path of God's wrath. If you don't belong to Jesus, you are in the path of God's wrath. And while hell is, we know at least from these things what it's not. It's not everyone's going to heaven and it's not you're just going to cease to exist. So now we'll take a quick look at what it is. We cannot be fooled or deceived into this knowledge that it doesn't matter the kind of life you live here on earth. Because everyone's in. If that were the case, as I mentioned, I think, in the spring, eat, drink, and be merry. If it doesn't matter, what are we doing here, really? If all this is is a moral booster club, I've got better ways to do it than this. Because the Bible speaks of sacrifice and hardships and trials and doing things that are so countercultural, loving your enemy, taking the shirt off your back, walking with your enemy in a way that they can understand that you love them. But culture doesn't teach that. If all this is is just kind of a moral kind of get-together, then, then let's just stop the kidding around and go out and live the way we want to live if we're all going. But I think Jesus has something else to say about that. So we know that these aren't, this isn't what hell is. So let's just, just let me just give you a couple things about what hell is then. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, you know, if you are, then great um, hell is this. Number one, I believe hell is eternal. I think hell will last forever. Um, for time's sake, uh, we, we looked at these. I'll just write down these for, for your convenience. Uh, Matthew twenty five forty six I think, says this. I think Mark 9, 43 suggests this. If you have time, you can look up Daniel 12, 2. I think that would support the idea that hell will be forever. Uh, and, and logically, I'll say this. You can't believe heaven's going to last forever 
and not subscribe to hell lasting forever. I think that's a cop-out. I think that's saying, yeah, we want the good things to last forever, but then when we get to the difficult things, I'm not sure they, I don't, I'm sure I want them to last forever. You don't get the choice. Hell will last forever, and I think these passages and some others support that idea, okay? I think, I think we're all okay with that in terms of knowledge-wise. Okay, hell lasts forever. Is there a question back there, Mike, or comment? So what is the basis for the people that uh, buy into this universalism? Because it kind of ties into this concept of, uh, you know, he's a good person, or, you know, I, was a, I lived a good life. Uh, so I was just wondering, you know, are those kind of the same folks that, that think that this concept of universalism are kind of the people that buy into, well, I'm a good person type thing? I was just wondering what's the basis around that. It is, uh, quite honestly, it is two things. One, it's taking some scriptures that uh, really focus on the love of God, combining them with passages that might suggest that God will annihilate people out of his mercy if they want to go that route. But if they want to go the route of everyone's saved and no one's going to be annihilated, then it falls to... um, not being able to marry the two, the tension of there is a place that God has, has judged people to go forever because of their life here on earth. And that is without, um, that is without a second chance, if you will. Right? So Hebrews 9 says it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. What we would believe is that that judgment then either puts you in one of two places forever. But the problem is, is that when we spend our life here on earth, we live in the life of second chances, don't we? We live in a life of forgiveness. We live in a life of how many times should I forgive my brother? Well, 70 times 7. And we carry that over then to the afterlife, to the final judgment. And we just can't believe that God would judge someone so final that there is not going to be another second chance. So these people would subscribe to a future repentance of those people who chose not to believe here on earth that they would get that second chance or third chance or fourth chance. In fact, one author says, says, no matter how many times you deny God, he will chase you down until, you, until his love overwhelms you. His love wins. And, and he uses support from like Luke 15. The lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. And he says, look, God, God loves these people so much, he goes after those people. The, the woman goes after her coin, and the father goes after his son, and the, the shepherd goes after his sheep. And so why wouldn't God do that for you? And, and just real briefly, my answer is he does do that to you. He gives you unbelievable opportunities here on earth to believe in him. Through general revelation, which is his creation, through special revelation, which is his son and the scriptures. Um, You know, again, we could use the hypotheticals, I guess, of those who have never heard. But let's just be honest, in this context, we've all heard. Um, we We are without excuse. And so what we want is we want to go do our thing. We want to have God right here and to say, God, listen, I'm running the show. And I will come to you when I want to come to you. But truth be told, you're going to wait on me. And God's saying, that's, that's, I just don't know where you got that from. That's not how I'm playing this game here. Uh, in fact, it's, it's anything but a game 
But, but we live like that. And we refuse to believe that there is a creator who loves us enough to die for us because in dying for us, we now have to die to ourselves. And sim- truth be told, we don't want to do that. So for all of those reasons, people say there's got to be, it's got to work out somehow other than this. Um, and so that's what they come up with. I had a buddy that was in a football stadium and, uh, and this is the enigma of my life. This is the, um, the one case study of my life I still to this day have not figured out. Believer, he's led many people to the Lord and he's sitting in a football stadium, I believe with his dad who didn't know the Lord, watching a college football game and he said he had a vision that the whole football stadium caught on fire. And people were burning in the stadium, screaming in agony, in great, great pain. And he said, if that weren't bad enough, he looked over and saw his dad screaming in pain, in agony. And that was what pushed him over the edge to say, I can't believe in a God who would allow that. Because he knew his dad and his dad didn't know the Lord, but his dad neither was a mass murderer. And so he said, I just, I can't believe that. And he, uh, this was... 14 or 15 years ago. And I, truth be told, I don't, I don't know if he's come back, to be honest with you. So I, you know, I know there's a whole big debate about if he was a believer or not. Or I saw him do things, though, that I have, beyond a shadow of a doubt, believed it couldn't have been done other than someone who knows the Lord. And so I don't know what to do with him, though, because he, he wrote down literally at one point, I've, I'm divorcing God. And I, my heart breaks for him. Great guy, great guy. You'd like him. You'd be his friend. And he just cannot marry this idea that our life here matters to the degree that their judgment is coming. Um, so I uh, hope that helps just a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's funny that, that you would mention uh, my God would never do this or my God would never do that. Uh, I heard one time this gentleman talked about it and this is in reference to the gentleman over there on the right side that had mentioned the uh something before he reminded me and uh people take scriptures that they like and they take part of catholicism they take part of new age movement and they take part of uh other religions that they like and they pull it all together and they make this god to keep themselves from uh, appearing to go to hell. And they would say, well, my God would never do this or my God wouldn't do that. It's because they've created their own God. And this is, I, this is idolatry. That's, I like the way you put that. That um, be, It's not so much that we're creating this false idea, but it's the reason why we're doing it. And the reason why we're doing it is because, back to this very original point, if you don't, you have to defend it. If you don't come up with some other idea, gang, you have to define and defend heaven and hell. You have to. I was in uh, Walgreens getting some medicine and whatnot, and right on the book, they, you know, I love CVS and Walgreens because they have these little corners of these bookstands that are like all... Christian? Do you ever see those? Like they call them, I think, inspirational books or whatever. But they're all Christian. It's it's amazing how they're allowed to do that. I don't know. And four of them were on heaven. Uh, this was one of them. Heaven is for real. Some of you have read this. There was one. Uh, there were four of them. 
out of, a, out of like 15, 16 books, 25% were on heaven. Right there. CVS or Walgreens. And, and so it's out there. And so, so we've got to define and defend it. But when we do, I'm telling you, this is what is biblical. And I'm not saying that because I believe it. I'm saying it because these passages are saying something to us. And it's not what we want to hear if we believe that everyone's going. And just because you're a decent person, you're in. Um, and that's what we struggle with. Uh, so so a second thing is I believe hell is separation. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 8 and 9. If you're not there, it says this. It says, uh, Paul says, dealing out of retribution to those who do... Now, now listen... He says, dealing out, of, out, out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So, you know, we don't need to know much, but we need to know that hell is going to involve some sort of separation, separation from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His power. Now, what do we equate to? Just shout out loud. What do you and I equate to being in the presence of the Lord? What kind of words do we use when we say, I'm in the presence of the Lord? What does that mean to us? What does it mean to be in the presence of the Lord? Peace, love, glory, holy, joy, I mean, really, what we're listing is what? Fruit of the Spirit. So, I don't think it's too far of a jump to say, you know what's not going to be in hell? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think all of those things are absent from hell. You know what I think else is absent from hell? Everything that is good. Because everything that is good is from God, and you are separated from that. You lose out on that. God, in his goodness, folks, gives the non-believer and the believer certain things here on life, in life, that the, the non-believer takes for granted. And it's going to be a very, very rude awakening when those things are absent from this place, including Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Those things that the non-believer as well as the believer love. We have to have in our life. We may not admit it all the time, but we desperately, desperately need those things. You know what else? And, and maybe speculation, but I doubt it, is going to be absent separation. Where did the first relationship begin? Where did the first community begin, do you think? Even before Adam and Eve. Okay, even before Satan was created. The Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this, because this is maybe blow your mind. They don't need us. They don't. They were doing just fine without us. They didn't get, uh, they weren't up in wherever because the heavens were created. So before even heaven existed, the three of them existed. And they weren't up wherever they were saying, man, we need something, something is missing. 
we're, something's not right here. What is it? Just kind of, what's God? You know what? It's creation. It's these little people running around. We need some of those. They didn't do that. That's not true. They were in perfect harmony and unity and love, and they are the model of community. So, maybe speculation, but I think that's going to be missing in hell. I don't think there will be community in hell. Certainly not the way that our culture depicts it, a rage or a party. It's just going to be a little warm, but it'll be a party. I don't think that's going to be true at all. Um, this, uh, this guy wrote a book. Um, I guess I recommend it. Um, Bill Weiss. Um, it's his account, so, you know, this is not biblical in the sense of, you know, but it's a guy who had a near-death experience, and he claims he went to hell for 23 minutes. And he knows that because, you know, when it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and then he woke up as 3.23 or something like that. So, so that, that's his account. But it's so vivid um, that I, I just want to highlight, I guess, for visual effect. He says... He says, that was the night I was catapulted out of my bed into the very pit of hell. My point of arrival was a cell that was approximately 15 feet by 10 feet by 15 feet. With its walls of rough stone and rigid bars on the door, I felt as though I was in a temporary holding area, a place where a prisoner would await his final hours before meeting a far more terrifying destiny. Isaiah 24 says, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and they shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7 refers to chambers of death in hell. He says, as I lay there on the floor of that cell, I felt extremely weak. I noticed that I had a body, one that appeared just as it is now. Lifting my head, I began to look around. And he says, there were creatures in my cell approximately 10 to 13 feet high. They were towering beasts, far beyond intimidating. Um, he says they had on their, their bodies evil and terror. These beasts actually end up picking this guy up and, and breaking his bones. And he goes on to tell this story. And again... I'm not going to preach off of it, but I read it in the sense of, I think it agrees with this, that it's not a good place. And that's my third point, is hell will be horrific. Uh, Is there something like that? Hell will be, one F, horrific. Um, Passages that I think support that... um, Turn to Matthew real quick then, if you're already in Matthew, stay there. But look at Matthew 13. If you, if you don't want to go there, you can go to Revelation 21, 8. Uh, Jesus mentions in Luke 16 um, the parable of the uh, rich man and Lazarus. But even in Matthew 13 then, there's never a depiction in the Bible of hell being a good place. It's always defined or illustrated as something that is very, very bad. Now, whether you take this as literal or whether you take this as symbolic, either way, the symbolism is not good. Uh, 13, 41 and 42, the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the fire into the fire furnace of fire in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth that's where we have the reference of weeping and gnashing of teeth in the book of La- in the book of Luke in 16 we have Lazarus begging um, 
the, the poor man there to save him because he's in torment, it says. He's being punished. He's being tortured. We just don't have any references, any references, where it says hell is mediocre or hell is, is doable. Hell is manageable. But rather we find hell to be a place that I would deem is horrific. Uh, finally then, um, as I mentioned before, and this one needs to speak the loudest to all of us, I think. And that is hell will be populated. Hell is going to be populated. There are two destinations for every human being. And only two. Um, I just don't know how else more clear to make it than that. Um, I have some things up here, I believe, some verses that I just... I just want you to acknowledge these verses with me. We don't have to go into much detail in terms of uh, a timeline. Next week and the week after, we'll talk a little bit about what happens exactly when I die. Where does my body go? Where do I go? We'll we'll get into that. And and it, it makes for a great discussion. It really does. But that's not what I live or die over. I don't live or die over... um, if Christ is going to rapture me before the tribulation or during or after. I have a position. But I don't live or... Someone's got a gun to my kid's head and says, change your position. Changed. (laughs) Done. (laughs) But I can't deny a heaven and a hell as the only destinations available for the human race. We live... Because our life appears as a vapor and then for a little while then vanishes away. We die and we're destined to die only once and then judgment. And then, guys, let the verses speak for themselves. On one hand, you have paradise where Jesus says to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed in both directions, but I desire to, to depart and be with Christ. God so loves you and me that he gave his only son that if you believe in Jesus, you will have everlasting life. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing that only requires your faith, requires you to, to blurt out Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that I've been saved by grace through faith, Jesus, and I'm so glad for that. On the other hand, For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter it. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes that the rich man being in torment for the wages of our sin is death. Jesus says, you shall descend into Hades. And again, the rich man says, I'm in agony. Um, For I'm in agony for this flame. We have, again, Jesus saying, there's plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, why would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get a room ready for you, I'll come back and I'll get you soon or so that you can live where I live. We're going to talk next week about this heaven being God's home. And it's such a beautiful place. Um, And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain For the first uh, thing has passed away. And yet, conversely, if your hand causes you to stumble, it's better to cut it off 
than to enter life crippled than having two hands and to go into hell the unquenchable fire. As we read in Matthew 13, there will be weeping and gnashing um, of teeth. Revelation 22 describes this new Jerusalem and he showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them were myriads and myriads, tens of thousands and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what awaits those who know Jesus Christ. And conversely, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Revelation 21 talks about the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And again, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he himself was thrown into that lake of fire. We have more verses from Revelation and from uh, Jude. And so the conclusion is simply this as we wrap up tonight. Heaven, I think, can be described in these, with these words. That God and Jesus will be there. That there is a marriage between God and his bride. That the wedding supper will commence. The glory of God. There's light, no fear. Myriads of communities. There's a society of some sort. Free of illness and pain. We're happy. There are some sort of abodes. There is eternal life in paradise. There are, I mean, think about the adventures we will have with saints from old and new and talking with angels somehow. It is going to blow our minds. And then conversely, there's destruction and bondage and lakes of fire and brimstone and pits of darkness and judgment. And even if those are symbolic, it's still bad. We have a choice to make, folks. And so I pray tonight, if you know Jesus Christ, could you do two things? One, be excited that heaven awaits you. And two, be praying for those who don't know Jesus so that you can share the great news of Jesus Christ with him, with them. And if you don't know Jesus here this evening, would you please, please come see me afterwards and let's just talk for a few minutes about why. Because this awaits us. One of those two things. I'm praying for all of us. It's heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight. Difficult message, Father, because, because hell is real and it exists. And God, I pray with all of my might that people would realize that, that you would use people in this room as agents of the good news, that through our lifestyle, through our actions, through our words, through our love for those around us, that the good news would go forth and that people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. What a glorious occasion that will be when we all reach heaven and we can look at one another and tell story after story of how we came to know you and how others did as well. Father, give us stories. Some of us are lacking those. God, give us stories to tell because it means so much to those who don't know you. And we'll give you, we will give you all the glory one day. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next week. Talk about heaven next week. Yay.